It was in the fall of 1932 when I discovered that a copy of the fabled Necronomicon was here in America, being guarded by a clandestine order of monks. Obtaining this legendary tome was vital, not only to my writings, but to the fate of all mankind. Thank God that stakes are much lower when it comes to the films inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner, flying solo at the moment, but today we'll be talking about 1993's horror anthology Necronomicon Book of Dead, written by Brent V. Friedman, Christopher Gans, Kuzunori Ito, and Brian Yuzna, and directed by Gans, Shisuke Kaneko, and Yuzna. And joining to discuss is author and creator of the Grey Matter Horror Podcast, Jonathan Inbody. Jonathan, thank you for joining us on the cast of Cthulhu today and for um, suggesting this truly strange film. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm truly excited to dig into how completely batshit a lot of this movie is. <laughs> it's so it is so quintessential, like early '90s horror in the best and yes. worst ways, I'd say. But before we get into the discussion of the film, I wanted to get into a discussion of you as a person, as a podcaster. Um, Gray Matter Horror, uh, why don't you tell uh, people a little bit about it? Because I, I had never heard of it until you introduced yourselves to us, listened to it. Got a little bit of a radio rental vibe to it, which I, I certainly appreciate. Yeah, it's been it's been a really fun project to do because, um, I, I, you know, I started out making short films and then I've, I've had some short stories published. And I basically just kind of decided that film was too expensive and, and short stories I can keep doing forever. But if, if no one's going to read it, then, you know, I, people did read it and I appreciate them for that. But I felt like podcasting was a nice little way to kind of um, get a lot more content out a lot more consistently. So I've kind of landed on um, the show is called Gray Matter, an acid horror anthology podcast. Basically, we do uh, original stories that are kind of in the the uh, vein of Carpenter or Cronenberg films. Uh, and then we also do modern adaptations of classic weird fiction stories from authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, Arthur Machen, a bunch of different guys. Um, we just did an episode a couple of months ago that was um, based on Chambers' King in Yellow, which I'm very happy about. Oh. That one turned out great. Mm -hmm. So um, especially for this audience, if any of your listeners want to check that one out, that is that is going to be a good one for them. Uh, that episode is called the man of the mustard suit in case anyone's looking for it. Oh yes. And, and just going through, I, I recently listened to uh, your most recent episode, uh, lock the door, which is about a uh, babysitter taking care of a young child and there being a literal monster in the closet. Cause I figured I have a son. Why not uh, get the whore really hitting close to home for me? Um, <laughs> and that was kind of cool. There was a little bit of a, uh, a cabin in the woods kind of vibe not to spoil too much about yes, it but i was no, like yeah, ah, this sure. is this is really kind of sweet and, and then just going through the episodes there's one on um ambrose bierce's the damned thing which i've seen the masters of horror adaptation but i've never actually read the right. story itself and that's a very unfaithful adaptation as well the, oh, yeah, the okay. masters of horror one that's because one of the reasons i adapted that story specifically is that i really love that short story um ambrose bierce i think is a, a fantastic author in general but um uh, that story, especially it really bugged me. Cause like that was my first exposure to that story was the masters of horror. And then I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Let me read this short story. And I read the short story and it's nothing like it. And I enjoyed it a lot more. <laughs> so when I was doing this project, I was like, well, it, I have a good chance to kind of redeem that story for people. If that's their only exposure to it, mm. you know, it's got an invisible monster. It's, it's a precursor to predator. How do you not do that as the story? If you're adapting it. Sure. Um, and you know, scripted especially scripted horror podcasts are not anything 
new or rare. I mean, I mentioned uh, Radio Rental being, well, I guess you could argue Radio Rental is not scripted based on at least the stories that the the uh, the contributors are telling. Whether or not that's true, true. Is, is up for debate, but it's still quite effective. But I mean, Welcome to Night Vale, um, Old Gods of Appalachia, like there yeah, there are a bunch of these. So I'm, I'm, you know, James and I throw together an episode in a few minutes. We often don't prepare. Um, surprise, surprise, I know. Um, but when it comes to a scripted one, um, I'm just curious as a kind of the the workflow or the process, like how much work do you put in? Because it's not just this, it's not just the writing, but there are actors, there's sound design, there's all kinds of stuff. So I'm, I'm a little bit curious if, if you could talk just kind of about the process for an episode. Yeah, it is. It's quite a lot. So, um, cause I, I write and direct every episode. So depending on how long they take to, I do pretty extensive outlining before I script. So the script itself doesn't take that long, but, um, but then in production, usually you have at least two or three, uh, four or five hour sessions that I do in my little home studio that, that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I edit the dialogue and then I send it over to Jeff, who's our editor and sound designer who does all the stuff to make it sound like delightful and and wonderful and, you know, <laughs> gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really cool. Um, and, and I guess, I mean, this is, this is a, a Lovecraft podcast. So um, for you as a, a fan, as an author, as whatever, there is this, this kind of umbrella term Lovecraftian, which can mean, anything from very specific to kind of like a generic term that like reviews will throw out as like, Oh, this is as James and I joke, there's a tentacle in here. This is a Lovecraftian (laughs) story. But for you um, as a creative too, when you hear the term Lovecraftian, what does it mean to you and what has drawn you to kind of Lovecraft cosmic horror, just that kind of specific niche of, of horror in general? Well, I I think cosmic horror is probably a better, like Lovecraftian, I think, covers more ground because I think people know Lovecraft more than they know cosmic horror as a subgenre. But, um, I, I am constantly reading the stuff that like the stuff that inspired Lovecraft, whether it's, uh, Chambers or Machen or any of these people, Algernon Bra- uh, Blackwood. Like, so to me, I, I see Lovecraftian as a kind of, uh, a culmination of all of these different, uh, kinds of short story writing and all these kinds of weird fiction that were kind of culminating into what we now know as cosmic horror. And I think what Lovecraft had that sets it apart is he was at the point where science was catching up to how bizarre reality itself is mm-hmm. and kind of cosmicism as a general thing, like the discovery of Pluto holds a big part in the Whisperer in Darkness. There's all these things where all of a sudden we as human beings are becoming aware of just how cosmically insignificant we are. <laughs> and I think Lovecraft really took all of that stuff that a bunch of people had written before him. Uh, and just pulled it all together it, along with that kind of general mood of this, not quite a nihilism, but a, uh, a, a bleak acknowledgement of our place as beings, as biological creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means in the grand scale, uh, scale of the cosmos and basically nothing, you know, we're, you know, we are as mayflies, but a <laughs> weird sci-fi gross version of that is basically right. yeah. the way I can kind of sum up cosmic horror. Yeah. Cool. And, and yeah, do, do you remember if you could think back, uh, like your first exposure to him, whether you were aware of it or not, like I, we've talked a few times on this podcast, like it seems like I've always been aware of Cthulhu as a creature or as right, a concept, right. but it wasn't until really I was in my twenties that I kind of realized like, Oh, this guy that has this weirdly metal name, mm-hmm. um, was actually the guy that created this thing, which has a weirdly unpronounceable name. Right. I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause like I do, there are just, 
Lovecraft has been so pillaged so thoroughly by <laughs> everybody that's come since. Yep. And it's really hard to kind of figure out where, you know, the, the roots of any of that knowledge comes from. Cause like, yeah, I feel like I've always known what Cthulhu is like known the design, known the vibe, mm-hmm. known the, you know, sleeping under the seas, eventually going to wake up and end everything, drive everybody nuts. Um, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I think honestly, my earliest exposure to it might've been, through reading the Stephen King story, Crouch End, which references a lot of the Lovecraft stuff. Just, I don't have a specific memory of reading that specific story, like at a young enough age that I didn't know Lovecraft, but it, I know I read King before I read Lovecraft. And that was one of the things that got me started along that. So I'm assuming that's probably, that would probably be my first exposure to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Either that or seeing like watching on uh, the sci-fi channel, whenever they would play like, uh, Dagon or or actually the movie that we're here to talk about as well they played a couple of times <laughs> you know there's it, it all fades together I have no idea when I actually yeah. encountered Lovecraft as a thing and not just as a as a genre and as a uh, as an aesthetic mm-hmm. um yeah or uh or I can specifically remember on the sci-fi channel um Beyond Reanimator playing which uh oh, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> which was uh and, and by I, I remember seeing the commercials for it but once we actually went back and watched it for this podcast, I was like, how much of this would actually be played on TV? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I have to imagine there's like 15 minutes cut out of that thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think I there was. Imagine. Yeah, yeah the, penis, uh, yeah, the yeah. penis. Dueling with the mouse in silhouettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Uh, well, it's uh, silhouette. They might be able to get away with it. <laughs> Just a little blurring. Oh, oh Brian, yes. No. Um yeah, yeah and, and you it's funny you mentioned King because I, I had always heard that Lovecraft was an influence on King. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I actually realized it or really kind of saw it come to fruition until I forget which short story collection it was in. But uh, he has appropriate to this episode, a short story called Gray Matter, uh, which oh, is sure. right. which is yeah. very Lovecraft. Like, oh, here it is. OK, now I see what people are saying. Yeah. Right. It, it's uh, actually funny with that story, too, because. I, I always, I read so much Stephen King as, as a kid, like uh, just constantly. And then yeah. I had a, I wrote a short story called gray matter that mm-hmm. is adapted in the first episode of the show gray matter. Mm-hmm. And then like, as I was in pre-production for the show, writing scripts and getting everything like ready to go, my, um, my mother-in-law was like, Hey, is there a Stephen King story called gray matter? And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but by then I'm like, well, I've already made all the branding material. <laughs> like I have yep. the logo. Mm-hmm. It fits with the vibe of the show. Like it's just gray matter now, but you know, unrelated to the Stephen King story. Well, he's, he's <laughs> famous for, you know, like only charging young writers like a dollar to adapt his stuff. So I wonder sure. if you just gave him a dollar for like, Hey, I'm just taking the name. Is that cool? Can I do that? It's, I, I don't want to say anything, but I am going to reach out to him about a, a different dollar baby uh, adaptation for gray matter. Eventually. Oh, relatively cool. soon now that the the show has kind of um not uh f- burned <laughs> now that the show is not like now that people are listening now I'll, now i'll see what i can do and you know stretch my wings i guess right, of course um yeah that's cool I, I i've always thought about that me and my uh my best friend we used to live together we were big film guys and we always used to talk about if we could adapt any king thing um, and for me, it'd be, uh, I know they've already did it for one of the creep show movies, but the raft would be uh, oh, yeah. a thing I'd want to turn into a movie. I, I love, yeah. I love that, that story. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't want to say too much about, I have a short story that has been used as a dollar baby a couple of times that I really want to adapt for gray matter, but I don't, I'm not confident enough to call my shot on it. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, so 
Cool. So thanks, John, for giving us your background. For uh, Of course, everybody, uh, Gray Matter, um, the links to everything will be in the show notes. I highly recommend you check it out. Once again, yeah, if you are into any of those podcasts I mentioned, welcome to Night Vale, Old Gods of Appalachia. Um, check it out. Um, but we are here uh, to talk about um, Necronomicon, Book of Dead. Famously, not Book of the Dead, but Book of Dead. So, <laughs> fine. Um, Book of Dead. <laughs> Book of Dead. Um, <laughs> seems like it came from a, a bad translation from a foreign title, but still, we are here to talk about um, a, a horror anthology relevant to this podcast, uh, your podcast, I mean, because it is a horror anthology. Mm-hmm. The kind of movies you don't see very much these days, unless it's the VHS franchise. Um, horror anthologies used to be a lot bigger. I mentioned Creepshow before. Really cool, you know, uh, wraparound story with a few, you know, um, interspersed titles in between there. In this particular one, if you have not heard of it, and I understand that you might, it is very difficult to come across unless you, you know, have an old VHS or DVD copy from way back in the day. Um, or, get- or a German uh, Blu-ray like I have. <laughs> <laughs> which 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 when i oh when you I fancy it, huh yeah well because i because I, I actually like, i'll call my shot i actually like this and because i'm a, i'm an anthology mm-hmm. freak yeah so like yes, i have me to too. Have every, i love you know, anthologies i just love them and like well yes one i will never own is creep show three because that's oh, a piece well, yeah. of garbage yeah. because, <laughs> it shouldn't even be called creep show but that's right. besides the point but yeah like it's just funny though because it's a german blu-ray when I actually initially put it on to watch for this episode, um, oh right, German is the first language. So I'm watching like, sure. wow, I don't remember it being in German in the beginning. Like, wow, <laughs> love for- oh wait a second, oh thank God, I actually got scared. I'm like, wait, is there an English um, like you know dialogue? No, there's actually three English dialogue tracks. There's like two commentary tracks. So mm. it's like, why isn't it like on Blu-ray here? Like, like this is like prime. Well, this interestingly is a prime enough, title, you know. Yeah. So I like there's there's always been kind of rumors about that. Mm-hmm. Been, like I've always kind of understood it as there's a track of music that is used in the cold that was later oh. recycled by the composer Dexter? for Dexter. Yes. Okay. And, and oh, I could think yeah. okay. that being the reason that it's it's just enough of rights things that they don't want to get sued oh, by Showtime. My... So they're like, let's not bother. No one cares about this. Just bury it. And That's it's so weird. The worst yeah, possible you... thing you could do with it. Like, please yeah. release the thing. Just change, just just take that track out because actually it was yes. it was really it was really freaking me out because I'm like, I heard a na 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 na. I'm like, wait, wait, <laughs> where, where is Dexter going to come out? Michael C. Hall is in this. What's going? <laughs> Who put up all this plastic? <laughs> <laughs> but that is weird though. Like like, but it came out before Dexter. Yeah. So shouldn't yeah. Dexter? So right? De- like, yeah. So Dexter so I, steals I, it. And Depends then, on how right. the rights are, though, too, because if Showtime right. if Showtime is just better at covering the rights issues yeah. and getting the mm-hmm. right papers signed, then they do technically own that piece of music, even if it's uh, the yeah. same piece of music that was once owned by whatever production company in whatever country. Yeah, right. Together. Right. That, that's probably it. Yeah, it, it's a shame, though, because if, if that's the only it thing really that's and, uh, just just take it out. You know, I don't think yeah, I don't right. think we're going to be like, oh, my God, the, the that Dexter like song in the cold is not there anymore. It actually detracted from the from the episode so it's like yeah take that out please music rights always you know it's ip law is just bad in america it's terrible seriously well i mean because especially like uh, i'm sure james does too like i follow uh diabolique dvd on twitter oh i'm sure i'm sure that's like there's there's got to be something there because this one i'm I, i can't imagine this one will take off but there's i would imagine enough of a cult following around this where if it was put out people would buy it i mean especially because of how rare it and, and inaccessible it has been for such a long time 
Well, yeah, that's why I got that's why I got the Blu-ray from from them. Yep. You know, that's because I'm like, oh, German German Blu-ray for Necronomicon for sixteen dollars sold. For sixteen, you know, all I've seen it for is like forty-five. Oh man, it went up in price since. Yeah, right. I was like, I, I lucked out. But um, yeah, come on, guys, just just maybe we should put that hashtag. You know, free free Necronomicon. <laughs> This is this is. Let's just reach out to Brian Yuzna and be like, "Hey, help us, please. Um, Want your film to be seen." James is Facebook friends with him. James could just drop him a line. Well, that's if I. uh, Okay, so I have a couple of friends that are like independent filmmakers, and I keep getting recommended Brian Yuzna as a as a people you may know. Yeah, I never want to send him a one chance at this. I don't want to do this. No, I, I have a lot of friends that have like just contacted him just to mm. kind of to thank you know thank him and so he's like very very friendly you know he's not like awesome. he doesn't like oh why are you talking to me it's more like right, sure. he's he's you know he's a fan of film so therefore oh yeah talk to him so maybe yeah maybe maybe one or all three of us should just separately go I, hey yeah, why not honestly. Yeah. Why is Necronomicon not on Blu-ray in America? Either way, I'm going to be friends with him on Facebook, guys. Uh, yeah. Like that's that's happening. If that's <laughs> the thing, I can just do. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing now like the the old Conan O'Brien segment, like you know Bowie secrets or whatever, and there was like gold one secrets. So I'm just picturing Yuzna. Brian isn't like people always ask me like, is it pronounced Brian Yuzna or Brian Yuzna? And I tell them the same thing. Uh, how dare you speak to me? Yeah, how dare you speak to me? <laughs> <laughs> secrets. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, so Necronomicon Book of Dead um, the the premise basically behind it is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft himself you know quote unquote played by um, Jeffrey Combs uh, goes to this monastery looking for the Necronomicon uh, gets locked in and then uh, I, I guess as there's kind of these stages of as he reads and things progress and these different stories uh, that he is reading about and he is writing them down for the purposes of his own fiction. And we, we get to see what these stories are that he is reading. There are three. Um, they are the drowned, uh, cold and whispers. Um, and allegedly all kind of loosely based on Lovecraft stories. The drowned is kind of or inspired by the rats in the walls. Uh, the cold is you can see a much more direct adaptation of cool air and then yeah. Whispers is also kind of a loose adaptation of the Whispers. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Loose being a, a liberal term, let's say. I've got a lot to say about how loose the adaptation is on Whispers <laughs> yeah. in Darkness. Because I yes. love the Mego. They're like weird little ghoulish. Like mm-hmm. I just love that they're just like weird, schemy little guys. Like yep. I just love them. With big straws for, you know. <laughs> mm. If that isn't like the greatest laugh in the movie, like that made me so happy. Where I was like, how did I forget this shot? This is the best thing I've ever seen. It's so good. Well, certainly I feel like we might have the most to say about that one. So we'll save it to the end. So I figure, why don't we just really start at the beginning? And I don't know whether, sure. should we should we talk about the wraparound or should we talk about the drowned? What should we start with? I, I think like I, I don't really have much to say about the wraparound. The only thing I really yeah. have to say is that it's crazy that Jeffrey Combs got to play Lovecraft and Poe. And I'm and really po. like, I, I yeah. cannot even what an incredible career that man has had. I'm mm. incredibly jealous. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, uh, seriously. apparently um, a little bit upset with how they did his makeup. He feels like they just made him look like Bruce Campbell, which he's not. Uh, they did. <laughs> Absolutely. They did. Yeah. Yeah. It looks a little, yeah. A little too um, chin, chin forward. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it even has like yeah. the, the divot in the exact yeah. same mm-hmm. spot where it's like slightly off center. I, I, I do crazy. like it. I know there's suspension of disbelief in movies, but I do like that. This one asks us to believe that this uh, 
fragile recluse has the has the capacity to deceive a religious order of monks and uh stop the world from ending all on his own which and has a sword cane to fight the so- <laughs> sword cane i see it's great. has like the, the the perfect stealing of the key without anybody yeah. like like how did he not notice that you know like yeah, right. rip, ripping someone's face yeah, the off strength to rip the skin away from uh wh- which, who is apparently not a human but you know still no but you know but it's but <laughs> what i do appreciate though like with that 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 was a scene as a kid that i would see on compilation tapes of gore mm-hmm. was the ripping of the face and, I, oh, I, sure. and, for, and for years i was like where the hell is this from? Like, what the hell? And then I'm like, wait, is that Jeffrey Combs? Like, because it sure. didn't look like him really. But it, and then when I found, out, I'm like, oh, this is a Necronomicon. Okay, and that and that's the thing. Like with this film, like you have some of the greatest special effects artists. Oh yeah. Within mm-hmm. you have Screaming Mad George. You have John Buechler. You have Tom Savini heading it all up. How can you go wrong with it? You know, like, <laughs> and you have like, great like, directors like, too. Right, like, right. You have. All of these right. directors are great. They have made great movies. Every one of yeah. them. Yeah. Oh no. They and that's a, and that's yeah. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Like yep. a, oh, you yeah. know, a few years later, you have yes. the Gamera trilogy. Yes. Totally uh, brought back Gamera to like and a new. The best of the two thousands Godzillas. Maybe that's yeah, controversial yeah. to say, but people might get mad at me for it. But that's fine. I, I wouldn't get mad at that. I, I would. I would say. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Brian and and you know and Brian Usna who like you know he's always having fun. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like he's just like he has so much fun in this one. Oh, and 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 hell, he gets to act in it too. He's the cabbie, right? Yeah, he's oh, the cab driver. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, there he is. There's mm-hmm. Brian. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, Christopher Gans is the director of the yeah. first one, The Drowned. Um, yes, as James mm-hmm. mentioned, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Also, a pretty passable Silent Hill adaptation, I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, apparently, He's got the mood right, which is yeah. the important thing. Hundred uh, percent. Apparently, according to IMDb, he is working on Silent Hill: The Return, which seems like it might be an adaptation of the second one because there's a, a actor cast oh. as James Sunderland. So I'm. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, they're really going hard with like between the remake of Silent Hill Two and a movie that's also just going to be Silent Hill Two. I'm, like that's one of my favorite games of all time, and I'm oh, yeah. really going to get sick of it. <laughs> I can already tell yeah. by how much they're pushing it. Um, but uh, whenever that, that game is, is re-released, I'm, I'm picking up in a heartbeat. Uh, anyway, oh, so, but, right, sure. um, so the drowned, um, like I said, uh, a very loose adaptation of the rats in the walls, at least yeah. just in the sense of a person inherits a home and there is a, a, a story about his lineage in it. That's really kind of where the similarities end. Um, but this one is, uh, an actor who is not Anthony Stewart head, though I thought it was for the first like minute. I was like, wait, is that oh, him? No, it's not Bruce Payne. Yep, Bruce yeah, Payne. Yeah, he does. Bruce Payne. He, yeah, very, very much so. I agree with that. That's a good call. <laughs> but he, he uh, you know, he has a tragic backstory. His uh, wife uh, died, and specifically, she drowned. Um, so he inherits this house in which there is a story that he discovers um, through, I believe, the Necronomicon itself, that there is a way to reanimate the dead, though with tragic consequences. A story that is as old as time that we've seen also time and time again. Um, but kind of the, in my mind... I don't want to say necessarily the best of these three adaptations that we can talk about that, but the one that I think upholds the telltale traits of a Lovecraftian story the best, at least in the sense of a guy enters into a situation in which he's unfamiliar, where there is something about his lineage that basically um, dooms him to a certain fate. Um, right. and, and, and yeah, and some cool practical effects a- a- along the way. Um, 
I have some thoughts, but uh, why don't we why don't we start it, um, Jonathan? What are, what are your thoughts on the drowned? I mean, I I really like this because to me this feels so much like um like either Brian Yuzno or Christoph Gantz or whoever else really loved the Roger Corman Poe cycle of films mm-hmm. and just decided like Haunted Palace adapted Lovecraft. Why don't we just do that? Like yeah. it it yeah. has the exact same like um I mean this in a positive way. It has the same soundstagey feel that those have yep, and it yep. has like it it's got that the kind of big sweeping soundtrack to kind of um to carry the mood through even when obviously the budget cannot you know any of those carmen pose and this it's cheap right and there's no way around that but yeah. especially with with the effects that they managed to pull off in this it doesn't feel cheap mm-hmm. and they they managed to keep the mood up throughout so that it's it, it does have a um it has the Lovecraftian mood and, uh, and the Poe mood in spades, which I, I love both of those authors. So I can't ever, I, you know, I can't be against it. It's pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I dig it. I mean, not only do you have Bruce Payne, who I, I love as a character actor, you have Richard Lynch, who always steals the show. He's <laughs> always like giving it his all. And I mean, like, yeah, I agree with Jonathan. Like, it's very, very like stagey, but in a like the most positive way it feels it feels lived in. And you know what? Like, while some of the um, computer graphics are a little, <laughs> yeah. a little dodgy by today's standards, but this is 1993. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, yeah. so I, I kind of don't hold it against it. And what's weird about it though, is that it actually ultimately has a happy ending. Yeah. Like he does not go the way of his ancestor Jethro by killing himself. He ultimately chooses to live, which is very positive for any sort of Lovecraft adaptation. Like, wait, they went right. with a positive one, especially when you have the next two mm. that go, let's just go really dark. <laughs> like, let's go, like, dark. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, let's go dark as yeah. hell. And yeah, I'm like, exactly. interesting. But you know what? That might, you know, maybe, maybe Christopher Gans like wanted to be like the positive of the three. <laughs> like, Oh, you know what guys? Yeah. I got a, I got a happy romantic. ending here. Like yeah, yeah exactly. Or the, the romance and like the classical, like there's a lot of swashbuckling at the end of this one. Yes. He's really swinging. Like, like, he's swinging on <laughs> chandeliers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Christoph Gantz loves chandeliers because there's yes. so much of that in Brotherhood of the Wolf too. Yes. <laughs> this was like his, this was him testing out all that stuff for Brotherhood of yes. the Wolf. He's like, you know right. what? Oh, I could do this in a really low budget. What if I actually get a little bit of money? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> there we go. I had actually yeah, I, I uh, dug it, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Brotherhood of the Wolf in a while, so I had, I had forgotten that there was chandelier swinging. Um, I keep meaning to watch that, rewatch it again, because my wife and I like watching action movies together. I'm like, this one's got some cool action sequences, and I pull it out, I'm like, oh, it's three hours long. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Seems unnecessary. Um, That's one of the things I love about Brotherhood of the Wolf, is that it's like truly too much in every imaginable direction, where it's like, it's too oh, long, yeah. there's too many characters, there's too much happening, the plot is way too overstuffed. The whole time you're like, how is this, there's so many things in this, how am I enjoying this as much as I am? Oh man. Um, I, one thing I appreciate, uh, the most about the drowned is how it does a good job of setting up everything you need to know about the characters and the stakes in the first few minutes, you know, this guy's inheriting this house. And especially when they come in and they have that camera shot where just kind of where it, uh, the camera like lowers. So you see that there's something underneath the floorboards. Oh yeah. So you know that there's something afoot, the real estate agent or whoever she is, is telling him the story about like, here's why the place is empty. You should really sell it. Here's a story about your family. So you're like in the first like 10 minutes, you're like, I know exactly all the pieces are set up. I know how this is going to play out. And for the most part, it does. Um, 
if I had a, a knock against it, which is is really kind of inherent with just short uh, short stories, things and in, in, in anthologies in general, um, there is obviously this you know the blessing and curse. Oh my my dead relatives can come back, but then normally if, if it was a feature film, you'd spend a little bit of time there until the character realized like oh this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Whereas here. The characters come back to life, and immediately it's like, "Oh, this is fucking bad idea. This is a terrible yeah. idea." <laughs> oh, like, it turns out she's a tentacle. Uh oh, watch out! <laughs> she, she she is just she is just a giant tentacle. I'm, I'm not really yeah. sure Which, how that works. Assuming out. the monster at the bottom of the house is supposed to be Cthulhu, was Cthulhu gonna fuck that guy? Like, <laughs> he's getting you know, pretty close to him. An implication yeah. I had not considered before. It um, seems like Cthulhu's up to something. Yeah. Oh. You just reminded me if I did have one mm. other critique about this, it is that they, uh, was, the there wasn't full penetration. I, well, yes. That, okay. So two knocks. <laughs> and then but, but the other one being, um, did no one like think or research on how to pronounce things? Cause like the guy, when he's chanting and he, uh, uh, um, Jethro is, yeah. he keeps saying in strange Ian's as though it's like some guy's name, like, Hey, there's, yeah. there's a bunch of Ian's. They're all kind of weird. And then, how does uh how does he pronounce Cthulhu? It's like Cthel. Like it just like do, do you not know it's how like to pronounce or something? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I had to like wait Oof. a minute. What did he Oof. just say? <laughs> and then yeah, Cthulhu. Um, it's crazy. Like there's no way because that that's just maybe it's just because Christoph Gantz is not like a primary uh, yeah. primarily an English speaker, but like someone's got to notice that those pronunciations are different between right. the Jethro and the Edward character. Like someone's got to be like, no, you got to say it the way he said it. Cool practical effects. Again, they kind of have to speed things up. Like White's back. Oh, this is terrible. But she's a tentacle, and we're like, let's let's move it along here, guys. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I thought it was really kind of effective. As is the case in across all of these, practical effects are really pretty cool. Um, yeah. Especially when like we see her lying on the ground, and she's like oh, yeah. partially tentacle, partially yeah. slimy thing. Like, oh, yeah. oh this is That's making great. me a little bit physically uncomfortable. I also the um the pirate guy as well. The actually literally in my notes I just wrote love oh. this Davy Jones ass motherfucker and his weird yeah. giant hat. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he just the second he showed up I'm like who's this guy? Let's yep. let's follow him for the next 20 minutes. Yep. It's like here's the Necronomicon bye. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Come back. Come back. I want to hear your story. Yeah. Oh, like, wait, who, He's just who, there to be who? ominous. He's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Um but it, and also that that does, you know, kind of play into a lot of these Lovecraft stories too where the religion that has been kind of the tradition throughout society is like, is hollow is not existent. And then this guy throws the Bible in the fire and is kind of a revoking of mm -hmm. religion and an accepting of this other type of mythology or science or whatever. And how ultimately right. that like, but you've entered a doorway buddy and now you're fucked. Like, you know, he's made yeah. his bed and now he sleeps in it. And that is, uh, you know, especially Lovecraftian, but what is kind of weird, as James said, it's kind of happy ending, which we're not really, used to in these yeah. kind of stories so it's not so much like well i'm doomed to repeat the mistakes of my family it's like well and they lived happily ever after <laughs> um anyway so yeah um i don't want to spend too much time on one or another but uh um any final thoughts on the dran before we move on to uh the cold no we go to the next one i think yeah i think we're good i that that one's like the most straightforward i don't have any problems mm -hmm. with it in the way that i kind of do with the way that the other two are adapted mm -hmm. partially because it's not really an adaptation. <laughs> Whereas the right. cold and whispers are allegedly adaptations, you know? Yeah. Um, I, and Wikipedia will say that um, um, the drowned is inspired by the rats in the walls. I'm like, um, I don't know. You, I guess Not you so could much. say, yeah, I guess you could say it was inspired. Uh, there are certainly walls, the, though there are no rats. 
Um, but the cold, of course, um, an adaptation of cool air. Um, at least at the core of it, there is this old scientist played by David Warner, um, who uh, has, through some um, ill-advised science, has kind of uh, found a way to uh, prolong his life, though, uh, through nefarious and um, evil means. Um, there, there, there is kind of a wraparound story within a wraparound story here in the sense of yes. the story <laughs> yes. is being told uh, right. because really one of the most shit heel detectives or journalists in history just kind of barges oh. into this woman's place. Hey, right. tell me why all these people are dead. And so she like, and she has no obligation is, to, but she just tells it. Dale Porkle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's Dale Porkle. Um, I love it. Uh, but you know, and she, and, uh, and, uh, our, our, our protagonist, Emily tells a story about how her and her, um, mom moved into this, new place and she discovers this doctor dr madden um who is yeah who's conducting these experiments where basically he needs people's spinal fluids um in order to create this um this substance to keep himself alive he also has to keep himself very cold which is pretty much in line with the story what is not in line with the story is uh dr madden and this woman fuck and that is very weird to me (laughs) it makes no sense other than and he's like, I love you, actually, though. And then it just cuts to them having sex. Yeah. 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 Like a Skinamax movie. It's like, whoa, yeah, exactly. David Warner. Yeah. Good, Good like, job, David Warner. I've, I've always had a thing for doughy old English professor <laughs> types. And then um, it just, just it, it only, I guess, serves as a narrative device to get us to her being pregnant. And that's why, you know, yeah. she has to survive because she has to keep the baby alive. It's, it's all very contrived and so at first i was like oh cool we're kind of we're flipping the genders here our protagonist here is a woman which was not the case in the original but then it's it's flipping the genders but only for the purpose of kind of exploiting this womanly thing of pregnancy which is like okay i mean i guess it was the early 90s so what this movie has weird gender politics in general because the women characters are either pregnant because there's two different segments that are about like a, a maybe wanted, maybe unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there's a, the only other real major female character is the housekeeper. Who's just like, Oh, it's crazy, but she's in love with the doctor guy. Like, and yep. she's like willing to kill for him. And they don't really do anything else with her. No, no, no. That's kind of her thing. And, and this guy, I don't know, must have a huge penis or something that women that just come into his radar are like, Oh, I love this. Well, guy. Well, he's David Warner. Well, it's David Warner. To him talk, like, yeah. 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 You listen to him talk. It's like, Oh, you make everything better. Like it doesn't, and plus <laughs> yeah, he, right. he did, he, he did protect, you know, protect her from yeah, uh, yeah. Gary Graham from alien nation. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, oh come God. on. Like, you know, I was like I the whole time. I'm like, I'm like, who is that? Like, Oh my God. Alien nation. I'm like, Holy shit. Where, That's where, funny. where's the, the sour milk? Um, and then, yeah, Dale Porkle, I love, is uh, Dennis Christopher, who I love him in uh, Fates of Black, the slasher movie about the crazed uh, uh, horror fan that starts killing people. <laughs> well, that's different horror that characters. Oh, it's good. Fates uh, of Black is awesome. But yeah, but it's, 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 and that's what I like about the, like all these. They have a lot of great like character actors that kind of, right. even when they're being ridiculous, like Porkle is so like such a scumbag that you're like, <laughs> yes. you know what's, you know what's going to happen to him. You're like, oh. You're being poisoned right now, you idiot. Like you're, All you're such I can a think moron. Of, every time it cut to him with the T, I was like, this yeah. is where Kevin Smith got Justin Long and Tusk. Like, yes. this is it. This is the exact <laughs> thing. He was like, oh, that guy, he's just going to be the main character of the story. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. it's crazy how one-to-one it is. It's, yeah. it's also so <laughs> funny that the, the 
leverage he apparently holds over is like, listen, if you don't tell me the story, I'm going to write my story. And like, okay, so your okay. story is, is what? A woman without evidence has been killing all these people. Across, like, right. Yeah, go yes. write that story. No buddy. evidence at all. No name to attach to it. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. It's just, I guess it's supposed to, if it's not supposed to do this, then I don't know what they're doing. It's just supposed to get us to the point of we don't care or we root for his death. Um, yes, right. Because if his poisoning and ultimately demise is supposed to be like, oh my God, that's a twist that I didn't see coming. Like, no, just fucking kill this guy. As soon as he shows up, <laughs> let him die. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little, the framing device for this one feels a little like, not that it doesn't feel tacked on in the sense that I feel like they added it later, but it feels like if they did another pass of the script, they could have just taken it out. Like, yeah. I don't really need, like, I think the, the, the scare at the end of it, of her being like, I have to keep injecting the spinal fluid so I can feel the baby move. Like, that's great. Mm, but yes, to do all of that for that one bit seems like a bit much. Like you probably could have just cut a good five or 10 minutes out of this thing. Definitely. And then the, the, the reveal of Lena at the end, I'm, you're, you're thinking she's going to look horrific. She just looks right. a little yeah, bit She's older. just old. That's it. Yeah. Like, like, just right, old oh, no. yeah. Yeah, she's old. Get away from me. Uh, uh well, like the yeah. it's interesting too because like uh this is actually something i've talked about on my blog at www.graymatterhorror that's g-r-a-y matterhorror.com <laughs> sorry i just had to um but yeah, in the in the blog i've done a couple of uh posts that i call acid horror history where i'm kind of talking mm -hmm. about like the way that we got kind of horror as a genre and specific tropes within it yes. and i talked about um uh, the fly, the Cronenberg fly in relation to melting man stories oh, yeah. that were very mm -hmm. popular. Like yeah. cool air is entirely, you know, it, it is oh, yeah. the third in the line from starting with uh, facts in the case of M Valdemar from Poe, yeah. then novel, the white powder from Mackin and straight to this and yeah. melting man stuff is something that I think always works because <laughs> nobody wants to think about their body just disintegrating. Yeah, like, no, it's and, always yeah. great. I, I, it's it makes perfect sense to me that it caught on and that all of these authors went like, oh, he did a pretty gross one. I'm going to do a grosser one. Let's just keep yeah. upping this ante forever. And that's how the and that's how films are like, you know, you have the right, Incredible yeah. Melting Man, which is just yes. gross. And then right. years later in Australia, they did Body Melt. Yeah, that's oh disgusting god. as hell. It's like, oh, my God, yeah. like I can't even get trash. through that one. Yeah, street trash. Like, I, I can't like every time I try to show that movie. Everyone's just so grossed out. They're like, oh, I don't want to see <laughs> bums getting melted from liquor. I'm like, yeah. but it's funny. It's funny. You right. know? Oh, yeah. But no, something, there is something about that's satisfying about a melting man story because you're like, yeah, I don't ever want that to happen because I, let alone, you know, I get cut and I see some blood. I go, oh, no, God damn, this is bad. Right. Imagine if like my whole hand is melting off. It's like, oh, oh yeah, God. right. No, well, it's, it's like, um, well, actually Ugh. back to quickly plug, actually our next episode of gray matter is an adaptation of Arthur Mackin's novel, the white powder. So if people oh, want an experience of somebody <laughs> melting, that's going to be good. That'll be coming out whenever this comes out. I assume that episode will be out before this is, but either way, if not, you know, check yeah, it out we'll <laughs> at, yes. at graymatterhorror.com. G-R-A-Y <laughs> matterhorror.com. Wade Boggs carpet cleaner. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, if you really think about it, when when it comes to um, the one of the traits of, of Lovecraftian stories and just like cosmic insignificance, you see that on a on a micro level with these kind of stories in the sense of um, there's no such thing or uh, as spirituality or something after. So all we have is our physical right. existence. So to imagine right. just like the desperation of a doctor who is trying to prolong his life as much as possible, and with one simple mistake, 
his it body is. literally disintegrates, dissolves, melts, and like it's just we're just bags of meat and fragile bags of meat at that, and there's no there's nothing beyond that is right. kind of horrifying. And the melting man is the highlight, literally the highlight oh, of this as he melts and breaks apart. It's it's fantastically so cool. disgusting. Yeah, the mm. eyeball, the eyeball, like deflating. Defla- and, yeah. And yeah. Oh, God. It's like, Jesus Christ. I love the, the chest cavity, like ripping into it. And you can yeah. see it all like surging out. Uh, mm. That's that's wonderful. Which is great because like, I mean, practically, if you're like, why why would you do that? Why would you be, as you're melting, like concern <laughs> right, yourself with yeah. ripping them off? But it's it's cool. And that's that's all yeah. the only thing that matters to me. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that's, what, what is that's the, the other thing with Melting Man stories? It's, all, it's always about a guy becoming like a universal monster. Yep. For you know, mm-hmm. he just hits a point where he's like, actually, you know what? I'm going out, so I'm just gonna go out big. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, scene, you know. What I'm yeah, exactly. Um what is the the one thing before his eye deflates and his head dies? Oh, what sitting, he says? Yeah, what does he say? I I could not get and I didn't do the, the subtitles. I because he says something like like I don't know if I don't know if it was something like one last message of love or something, yeah. like <laughs> like he was trying to he's like i love you dead <laughs> i think it might i might have misheard i think it was i think he said gray matter horror.com I, I, oh there I you go sure. it was was it g-r-a-y or g-r-e-y you know what? I it is it, the a i think it was e i think it was e-y so oh, yeah. damn it. son of a oh, bitch man. <laughs> david warner I gotta go sp- dig up david warner guys yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole thing of, of sort of exploiting our horror and our emotions because a the woman is pregnant. Uh, Jonathan, as you said, like the sexual politics in this movie are a little bit weird. This is certainly yeah. um, endemic of that, though um, not as worse as the final segment, Whispers, <laughs> um, which uh, one thing, I guess one thing before we step back, um, the writer and director of um, of The Cold were, they were Japanese, Yes. Um, Shisuke Kaneko was the director and, um, let me see, uh, oh. uh Ito was the writer. So I also just wonder, I always wonder when that, like, what could be lost in translation? The, the fact that, that, uh, our journalist was such a, an unrepentant and like kind of one dimensional asshole. Like, is it just something where it's like kind of trying to duplicate something you've seen in a American journalism, hard boiled kind of journalist in movies and is there something that's kind of lost? But um, either way, yeah, I, not entirely successful, even though it is kind of the most direct of the adaptations of the story. But that leads us into Whispers, which I was surprised how much I enjoyed it because those first few minutes I thought were fucking terrible. Yes. Uh, oh, with, yeah. oh, with the, the, the It starts off real between, rough. Yeah. Yeah, the banter between the cops like, I'm going to take my seatbelt off and, and, and you know, you're going to hit You're going to kill me. You kill me. It's like, and then, and you're wondering like, where is this going? Like, you're like, wait, okay. So we're, we're chasing this person, the butcher, a serial killer or whatever. And then it's like, Oh, they had sex together and, and she's like, pregnant. Like, the fact that it starts like, the highest possible energy and then ramps right. up from there is like, I can't decide if that's bad or if that's the best. Cause it's I, a I think great it was smart, choice. Actually. Like, yeah, I think it was it smart that it goes crazier. Yeah, it is insane, but it's also, yes, this is like, one of the worst examples of an exposition dump I can possibly think of. Yes. And, and not just in the sense of the 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 exposition comes out in the most inorganic fashion you could possibly imagine, but also yeah. you really don't need it for the story at all. Like, I mean, no. I guess 
her being no. pregnant, sure, you do need that. But the fact that it's her part, like you could have just made them partners and there still would have been that emotional connection of like, I have right. to save my partner. Right. Um, not, I, I, not I have to save my point. baby daddy. Yeah, it's no, like it's a very odd choice. Let's just put and, it like and that. Also, yeah, it's weird to make the Migo like, well, this version of the Migo like pro-life monster movie people too. Like it's weird the way that they right. suddenly make that turn too, where you're like, hold on, what, wait, what is this about? I don't understand where we're going. I, yeah. I also find it rich that um, in a high speed car chase, a police officer is telling another police officer to slow down. Like that's not the point of a car chase. No. You're and that's a guy. Putting his seatbelt and being like, what, you want to kill me? Kill me. And it's like, dude, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, you're an idiot. Like, like you deserve like, to die. Why would you want that? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, this, the, these two police officers in Philadelphia are chasing down a serial killer who is known as the butcher. Um, and of course, once they get to his lair or what they think of as his lair, um, the male police officer gets captured. The uh, female police officer is trying to track him down. They find these two inhabitants of this building. Um, and apparently, um, yes, uh, the, the, the butcher, well, is it, is, are we supposed to believe the butcher is just, the guy I, or the butcher is a stand-in for the Migos who are just siphoning life from people. I think it's supposed to be Mr. Benedict is the guy that, you know, cause he had the same boots, you know, mm. for the blood and, you know, Don Calfa is amazing, you know, as, especially the mortician from uh, return of the living dead. Yeah. So he's always <laughs> fun, but like, but it's like, it's a weird dynamic. Cause like, then you have like, are they a couple? It's like one saying something else they're trying to, but they're also fucking with her. Like they're, you know, they're fucking yes. with, sarah the whole time and like i guess they're followers of the migo like they're you know they want to become one with them too but they have to feed them somehow so let's just That's... get some more people like which is just a weird thing to like think like okay let's get some cops that probably will be investigated yeah it'll draw a lot of attention yeah like if you're gonna <laughs> do that you got you should go after like people that are you know like you know usually like a smart, a smart killer would go after like drug addicts that nobody cares about homeless people. Like to think like, you know what? Nobody's going to miss them. We're, you know, we're creepy people already. We're awful. Sure. No, let's go after these two cops that actually said we need backup. Right. Well, nothing. that's one of the things that like, there is an aspect to which the, it captures this segment does capture the mood of whisperer in darkness because there is a real, like a, a really bizarre haunted housey vibe to the Migo. Yeah. The Migo are just lying all the time for no apparent reason. And you can't really figure out what they're up to yep. at any real point. Like you kind of get the, no. the, the general stuff eventually through the reveal at the end of the story. But like, it's interesting to only keep that aspect of the Migo and throw out the entire rest of the plot. I don't know why <laughs> they would do that. And, and, and I really, I really think they really wanted to keep showing um, Paul, his like corpse with no brain. As it it's, it's a great show, effect. Like, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's really because, like, good. He's just walking around drooling all. And I do. Oh, it's incredible. The, and I'll give it credit. Like it's creepy when it's like speaking from its little vagina mouth, mm-hmm. like you know the little <laughs> vagina thing, and like it's actually Paul's brain and eyes inside. Yeah. Oh yeah. The stuff. So like it's he's like me. it's me, Paul. <laughs> Sarah. Well, the walls, watch the wall. <laughs> walk the like, walls. It, like it, 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 you know, it's creepy, and it reminds me of. They remind me of these. Oh my god, this is a weird thing. Um, DC Comics back in like the '90s had a big 
crossover event with all the comic books, all their annuals. And it was like these, they were basically like alien knockoffs that would mm. suck the spinal fluid from people. And certain people got superpowers because of it. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, did, did, did someone from DC Comics like watch this and go, that's a good design. We're going to do this for like a summer and like create like no no characters that nobody will ever remember except for James. <laughs> and the only one I remember is Hitman though. Hitman was a Garth Ennis comic, but um Right, sure. But but yeah, but it's just like it's just a bizarre thing cuz they they look they look cool. They look gross and like and I and just also love not they have like the Amigo. That's what kills no, me. Like, that, like the yeah, Amigo design is so cool in the original story just, of like oh, of weird course. little lobsters, bat wings, and weird like tentacle needle faces. Like yeah. that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. How do you this, not port that over directly? The Amigo right, are this awesome. is cool for like another like horror film. Like these would be cool. Like it was yes, like some right. weird like race underground, like like yeah. kind of like Midnight Meat Train was. You know, oh right, yeah, these that'd be underground great. Dwellers. That's what it yeah. felt like more like, you know, but yeah, it's a bizarre full disclosure. A bizarre I have a framed drawing of the Mego directly next to me. On my, my <laughs> well, and so, it's, it's, I'm a little biased, but you know, oh. well, in my, you know, there's, there's plenty of flaws with this one. Um, and we yeah. can certainly talk about the, the gender politics in a little bit, but my, maybe my biggest or one of my biggest complaints about it is how, how it changes the, tone of the original story because in the whisper in darkness there's kind of this rug pull out moment where it's like because yes. the migos and the voices are trying to convince our protagonist or our, our hero in the story that like they are here to do good that there is scientific right. benefit that good things are happening right. and then you realize it's a deception right. whereas in this one there is not that it's basically just kind of bad upon bad upon bad um, just layers of lies yeah for no reason <laughs> and, and yes. like yeah for no reason other like in it, it's I I feel like maybe I've been overusing this word in in recent years, but like it's kind of mean spirited. I mean, especially oh, yeah, yeah. at the end when oh, our, our our hero <laughs> so thinks that she is safe. When it's yeah. revealed that like no, these are still the Migos, uh, and we have amputated your arms and your legs, <laughs> and we've taken your baby. It's like holy yeah. shit, dude! Like you just really wanted to punish the audience, didn't you? Right. That, that shot of the Migo holding her severed arm like it's a big gulp. And yeah, just sucking the just, marrow out yeah. of it. Going to town. I laughed so hard watching that. I was so delighted by it. And and, and all you can do is uh, laugh at the end. That's all she oh can yeah, do. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's because like, it pushes it so far. Like, because that is that is such a Brian using the thing is like the dark mm -hmm. comedy. He really understands. He starts from this place of like things are unpleasant and kind of twisted and there's these layers to them. And then he pushes it so far that you have to just be like, okay, now it's popcorn cinema, I guess. Like once you get to the end of society, like yeah. you're just in there, you're just yep. in it. Like you're, you're, there's nothing you're, you can do. Yeah, you're into the, you're into the shunting now. It's okay. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> you just got to sit there being like, what's happening right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and, and cause I also think it's, it's, it's great for what it is, Yes, but for right, what yes. it's trying to be, I mean, it. I. I yes. Not, th not this as an is, adaptation. Yeah, this is no, this is yeah, a problem it's a bad with, adaptation. with how people try and uh, adapt Lovecraft is because it's so hard to depict existential dread that they just instead depict um, visceral horror, mm -hmm, and right. you know, body horror, visceral horror, physical suffering is not really ever a part of Lovecraft story. So this one to kind of rely on, like the effects are really fucking cool. I can't take that away. And it's really right. bleak. I can't take that away. But it's also like, 
this is not the purpose of these stories is not to like kind of make us physically uncomfortable or, or, or to have our, our characters kind of wallow in suffering. That's really not the point of any of it. Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like it took the, the last reveal of the whisperer in darkness of just the like weird kind of body puppeteering vibe mm -hmm. and went like, Oh, that'll be the whole thing. Yep. Right. And like, yeah. cause the entire character of Paul is there to be body puppeteered, like, <laughs> yeah. so that it's this weird ghoulish, like, and that, yeah. that does feel very much in line with the, the setup in the story, but it's done in such a haunted housey, like <laughs> bizarre over the top <laughs> way, which I love, but it's, it bothers me. Cause like, I love the whisperer in darkness that and yeah. the, the Dunwich horror are like my favorite Lovecraft stories. Mm. I love both of them for very similar reasons. I like the way that all of this backstory kind of gets built in as you go. And it builds that slow uncanniness and that unease of being like the Migo are up to something and whatever it is, I don't want to be around to find out what mm -hmm, right. like they're, they're saying that they're nice, but everything about them indicates they are not nice. They are really not helpful here. Yep. They're, yeah. they're real sketchy. And the fact that they're acting nice about it makes it worse. Like, <laughs> right. It is so much worse that mm -hmm. they're being polite. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and certainly I, James and I are, are in agreement that the, the 2011, the whisper in darkness adaptation mm -hmm. from the HP Lovecraft Fantastic. historical society yeah. uh, directed by Sean Branny and written by him and Andrew Lehman, uh, who we interviewed, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, is cool. one of the, I think one of the best like direct Lovecraft adaptations on film that you can see. I will post the link to that if you want to listen to that episode in, in the show notes. But like, but, and, and they improved upon the text too in a, an effective and organic sort of way. Whereas this yes. one, yeah, <laughs> strips things away to kind of just like, oh, okay. So this is really just, yeah, this, you're, you're just really going for a visceral reaction for people, which like, I, I don't, I don't have much time for that. And especially, I can say this now as a father, which is not to say it makes my comments valid, just it gives a little bit more meaning of like that mm -hmm. idea of, of exploiting the fear of what is going to happen to your baby is like, I, I got mm -hmm. no time for this anymore. I, I just right. don't. Uh, yeah, yeah um, it, it does. Like Haunted Housey is probably the the thing to me that kind of sums up the mood of it. Like it will fully go as ghoulish and as bizarre as it can possibly go to yeah. just get that gut reaction, which I have to respect because of how far it goes. Very far. But I also, right. you know, like like I said, this is one of my favorite short stories from Lovecraft. I will always hold that a little bit against it, but I, I enjoyed it much more this watch than I have on previous ones because I just kind of went along for the ride much more this time. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, Brian Usen went for like Grindhouse Lovecraft. If Lovecraft was writing yes. stories in like the 70s and 80s, this right. is probably what it would be more like, you know. Actually, I want to ask yeah. you guys, what did you what did you think about how, you know, like a lot of anthologies when they do you know, the segments, it's kind of like in the same time period or in the past. This mm. is like, it's, you know, it starts in the 1920s, but it's all over the place. Yeah, that doesn't make because sense. Because it's kind of, but I, but I think it's actually intentional, like showing like the Necronomicon is forever. Mm. And this will always, even though like, like Lovecraft's reading about something from the past, but then something from after him, but not really realizing it, but kind of like going, okay. Let me let me write this down and then like steal it at the end. It's just it's a weird dynamic. Like it's it kind of threw yeah. me off a little bit, but also I kind of appreciate it if that's what they were going for. I, framing but I'm not devices sure. are weird because yeah. with, with a framing device like well, it, in Gray Matter, like I I play the clerk of like our horror mm -hmm. host who's describing like basically it's the vibe of walking into a video store and the guy right. behind the counter is somebody you know and he goes like hey you like that you're gonna like this this is some weird right. shit like <laughs> check, check this out this is gonna be wild and like 
there's a versatility to that that you don't have when it's like, here's H.P. Lovecraft and all his stories are true and he's reading this book. And it's like, it is weird that in the Necronomicon, there's stuff mm. like a, a scientific diagram of a tardigrade that, that David Warner talks about. Where it's like, why would that be in there? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And then it's even weirder to be like, in the the crime destroyed streets of Philadelphia, and you're like, what? What is this? Yeah, it's like, like, what's like it, Lovecraft is reading this book, and he's like, what is a high speed chase? I don't understand yes. that. Yeah, it, it is no frame of reference. It, Wait, it is, a woman? A woman is a police officer? What? What is this? <laughs> Some horrible mistake has been made. Yeah, I must yeah. prevent this terrible future. <laughs> yeah, he, he'd, he'd also of course be horrified because he'd be like, "Wait, her partner is a what kind of man?" What? Oh, oh no, god, no, damn it. Yeah, no. <laughs> Does, does the Necronomicon mention it? Is the Necronomicon as racist as HP? <laughs> it really, it really doesn't make any sense. If you wanted to be really generous, you could say that yes, the Necronomicon kind of exists outside of space and time. Right. Sure. I. That's what they kind of say. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I don't think that's the case. Um, no. Yeah, but instead, it's just silly. And also, like, like you, you know, going back to what Whispers stripped from the story is. Mm-hmm setting taking place in the 1930s the technical innovation was supposed to be one of the draws of like this is intriguing maybe these creatures right. are here for the benefit of mankind but like mm-hmm. right no instead they're just here to take your baby and eat your bone marrow or sip it out like it's <laughs> like a from from their proboscis basically which is like and have yeah. a great time doing it okay, yeah. <laughs> um, they're loving life those guys yeah. oh, those then, yeah. little scamps and, and then of course we we return to the library where um lovecraft yes. apparently saves the world from uh a creature coming out From of a langolier coming out of a portal that looks like the mystery <laughs> science theater opening. Yeah, well, yeah that, exactly. It's a mystery science theater. All the doors. Dong, dong, yep. dong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he rips and then the it opens off and it's a... just a screensaver and a langolier just comes out and grabs the guy. Yep. Um, he, he rips the face <laughs> off of a T-1000 monk who squeezes through the bars that have locked him in. And then, uh, and then, the, yeah, the, and then he apparently, he takes the book home for yeah. the purposes of what is he going to save the world is he going to destroy the world what what happened it, i i don't know it is weird is that life... it's like it feels like it's being like isn't it great that he's going to get to write all these stories now and i'm like but if he has that book and all these things exist he should be doing more with it i think <laughs> right <laughs> like, congratulations bad he's yeah. just gonna hang on to it and just rip congratulations, it off hp lovecraft you have succeeded in your goal of saving the Necronomicon so that you could then live in poverty and obscurity for the next few decades yes, <laughs> until you right. died penniless of cancer that I guess the Necronomicon couldn't prevent. So, no. yay? If um, only he had looked at the tardigrade uh, diagrams <laughs> and learned how to live forever. <laughs> there you go. Well, this is funny too because tardigrades will play a, a significant role in the next movie we'll be talking about, which is Harbinger Down, which is interesting. I was about to ask if it was Harbinger Down. It is, yep, it is yep. Harbinger Down. But um, all nice. right, we should we should uh, start wrapping up here. Um, but uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining us for this discussion and for opening uh, opening up the doors to this uh, really truly strange and uh, largely lost horror anthology. Um, once again, if people want to find you, your work, all that kind of stuff, where can they, where can they check you out? I don't think you've mentioned the URL at all during this uh, podcast. <laughs> I don't think I have. Well, I will. Uh, yes. If you go to gray matter horror, that's G R A Y matterhorror.com, You can find all of our episodes. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at gray matter cast. I know Twitter's kind of dying right now, so is, yeah. maybe I'll be on threads or whatever eventually. Yeah. But, uh, for now, those are the ways to, to reach out. Um, we will have a Lovecraft adaptation coming soon. I don't want to say what it is or when, but that is coming very soon. So, uh, keep an ear out. 
Um, and uh, I am very much looking forward to uh, any of your listeners checking out my show and hopefully not hating it. So, you know, <laughs> check it out if you like it, guys. It's yeah, for you. You are the target audience. Yeah. Don't check it out if you hate it. It's just how it works. Yeah. Check it out if you like it. Don't check right. it out if you yeah. hate it. Well, if you can check it out if you hate it. The downloads are fine. Don't leave reviews if you hate it. No, that's... Only that's leave reviews if you like it, please. That's and if fair. you do like it, please leave reviews. It's always appreciated. Um, yeah, so go over there, support Grey Matter Horror. Um, uh, we are, of course, at Cast of Cthulhu at castofcthulhu.podbean.com, or you can find all of our back episodes at battleshipretention.com as well, where you can leave comments. Um, I haven't checked in, uh, let's say months, so who knows? Maybe everybody hates our podcast, and I have no idea. <laughs> um, but also, we are on Twitter. Um, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth, James is Wonka Kills Kids, and we are Cast Cthulhu. We're probably not doing the threads thing because I'm old and don't care. Uh, so we'll, we'll be <laughs> entirely on, fair. We'll be on Twitter until it dies or we die or entropy overtakes the universe. Um, and that's just kind of how it goes. But um, yeah, is there? Oh, and uh, movies of madness at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a line. Um, we always try to respond to emails as soon as we possibly can. But uh, yeah, Jonathan, again, thank you so much for uh, joining us and for um, setting up a seamless segue into the coverage of our next episode, which will be Harbinger Down from, I believe, 2011, 2012. We also set that up when we talked in our, our last episode about 2011's The Thing, that we will be talking about it because those two are directly connected to each other. And yes, tardigrades play quite a significant role in uh in that as do um studio executives at universal so you know <laughs> which is the more horrifying entity we'll let you decide after after the episode is done but but it uh, is the executives it is it sure. is the studio executives yeah. either way thank you guys very much for having me i, I really appreciate it yes this was absolutely a pleasure uh yeah so thanks everyone for listening be sure to tune in next time where we'll be talking about harbinger down in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu in his house in relia really, uh,